0: Good evening. I'm Diana Henry, a member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County. This is the primary race candidate forum for State Senate District 37. All candidates tonight are members of the Democratic Party. There are no Republican candidates. The Libertarian candidate is running unopposed on the Libertarian primary ballot. I would like to welcome all of you tonight, the candidates, the audience, and those viewing on television. This forum will be rebroadcast on three public uh, on the, uh public education and government channels in Iowa City, Coralville and North Liberty. Please check their websites for scheduling. The League of Women Voters is a volunteer organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate. The League does take positions and acts on selected issues which members have studied and agreed upon. We encourage informed citizen participation in government. Membership is open to anyone 16 of age or older. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate. We encourage our members as individuals, as we encourage each of you, to get involved in your community and political party of your choice. We also encourage you to vote on or before June 5th. League members are distributing cards and pencils so that you may ask questions. You are welcome to submit as many written questions for the candidates as you wish. Hold up the cards and a league member will collect them throughout the forum. Questions that fall in the same general category may be consolidated to allow us to cover as many topics as possible in the time allotted. If your questions are not addressed, you may contact the candidates directly. Campaign literature is welcome outside this room, following the forum. We ask that no buttons, signs, or literature be worn or distributed until then. The format for this evening is as follows. After the candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will begin questions to the candidates with one from the league, followed by ones submitted on cards by the audience, which I will read. Response order of the candidates will rotate. Each candidate will have one minute to respond. There will be no time for rebuttals. At about 7.45, we will turn to two-minute closing remarks for each candidate. Tonight, we have four candidates running in the Democratic primary election for Senate District 37. Eric Durth, Zach Walls, Janice Weiner, and Aymet Yosef. <clears throat> Let's get started with opening statements and I want to remind the candidates to remember to speak directly into the microphone so that you will be heard over the television broadcast. And for those people who are in the back, make sure uh, that they can hear you and uh, know what's going on. Also, I want to remind the audience to turn off their cell phones. The first question is from the League of Women Voters, and I'll direct it to Eric first. They need to do the link to trustee. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Eric, you're first.
1: Thank you. Good evening, my name is Eric Durth. I'm just finishing up law school here at the University of Iowa. I've previously worked at the Attorney General's Office under Democrat AG Tom Miller and his Environmental Law Division. I've also worked at a mid-sized law firm. Before law school, I earned a master's degree in environmental advocacy. And I also taught six semesters of undergraduate courses. I'm originally from a small 900-person town just south of here called West Point. If you're familiar with it, it's probably because of our legendary Sweet Corn Festival that we host every year. (laughs) Uh, Both my parents are public educators, so I think it's safe to say that uh, public education is in my DNA. Uh, um, So I call Coralville my home uh, today, and I'm active in the community and fighting for the issues that I believe in. My campaign is about letting Iowans lead. And this means, um, first, empowering Iowans to lead locally. One of the challenges we're facing. Um, with our current legislature is this disconnect between the legislature and the needs of Iowans. Our government should be listening to and working with us, not working behind closed doors and only listening to outside and special interests. let Iowan 's lead also means that we should be leaders nationally. we should be leading um, we should be leading nationally in um, making sure that we're at the forefront of the policy in our, in our state. We should, be not discussing, we should not be having these debates about these ridiculous, blatantly unconstitutional or racist or sexist or um, just horrible laws that we've been seeing this term. We should be discussing ways to move our state forward, to address the challenges that are going to be facing us. Addressing things like, how do we keep young professionals in our state? How do we reform our criminal justice system to make it so we're reducing recidivism? And how do we tackle the environmental challenges that are gonna be facing us that are only gonna get tougher and tougher? I believe in Iowa, and I believe in what Iowa can be. And I look forward to sharing my vision and answering your questions this evening. Thank you.
2: Zach? Good evening, everyone. Uh, I want to start by thanking the League of Women Voters for hosting us this evening, uh, Diana Henry for moderating, our audience in the room and at home on television, as well as the Press Citizen and other media outlets who are covering this evening's event. Thank you all so much for being here. My name is Zach Walls, and I'm proud to be running in this primary to succeed Senator Bob Dvorsky here in Iowa Senate District 37. Growing up with lesbian parents, I learned at an early age what it feels like to be left behind and excluded by our government. And I know that a lot of people feel that way right now. Our healthcare system is broken, our schools are underfunded, and workers' rights are under assault. Our state has a very simple choice to make. Are we going to let Republicans continue with this radical agenda, which today featured another $100 million in tax cuts for the rich, or are we going to stand up and fight back? After the video of my speech to the Iowa Legislature went viral, I had a choice to make. Do I try to go back to my life as usual, or do I keep fighting for what I believe in? I chose to fight, and alongside other advocates, we successfully protected marriage equality right here in Iowa. And then, I went on to co-found and lead the campaign to end discrimination in the Boy Scouts of America. I fought for people who have been overlooked and pushed aside. And today, I'm trying to continue that fight for the people in our community who are being failed by Medicaid privatization and a broken mental health system, for the students whose schools are underfunded, and for the workers whose rights are under assault. I know that I'm the best candidate for this seat because I have a proven track record of being an effective and winning advocate for change in our state, and that is exactly what our community needs. I will never forget what it was like to feel excluded And I will never forget how hard my family had to fight to get a seat at the table. And I'm running for this seat to fight for your family the same way that I fought for mine. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Zach.
2: Janice?
3: Good evening. Thank you very much to the League and thank you all for coming this evening. My name is Janice Weiner and I am running for the State Senate because I want a bright future for all Iowans just like I had a great future growing up right here in Coralville, next to Coralville Central. After college and law school, I joined the State Department, and I spent 26 years serving my country as a US diplomat defending US values abroad. Now I want to put my professional and my personal experience to work for you defending Iowa's values in Des Moines. I know how to listen and how to build relationships. I found it allows me to figure out what makes people tick and how to make common cause and I did it for 26 years across political parties in every country where I served. I also know about running a household. I've been a single mom for over 21 years and I understand many of those challenges. I also understand the challenges of elder care because I lived them with both my parents. My campaign is about what I call radical empathy. It's about Working together with others, including some who are not natural allies to fully fund our public schools, to reclaim collective bargaining rights, to find models of economic development that work for Tipton and Mechanicsville and Wilton in addition to Coralville and Iowa City, and to protect and help our most vulnerable populations. We also have to take care of our environment. We need to clean up our water both for us and for future generations. And finally, we have to stop rolling back the clock on women's rights, in particular, women's reproductive rights. Speaking of women, my my experience has been that when we get a certain amount, critical mass of women in the room, the dialogue changes, the atmosphere changes, and we really get things done. In the Iowa Senate right now, there is one woman for every seven men. That has to change. It is my view that the road to 50-50 by 2020 runs straight through through this district. What does Iowa need? We need a diplomat who is not afraid to thank speak you. truth to power. Thank and we Janet. need radical empathy. Thank you very much. Ivan:
4: Good evening, everybody. I would like to thank each and everyone for coming tonight. My name is Ahmad Youssef and I have two doctor degree. And I'm coming from different culture, and I'm migrants, and I came here for 16 years. I work uh, 25 years in business worldwide. I have two doctor degrees: my first one in finance, my second one in accounting. I work uh, in various international <coughs> board of directors, uh, committees, and councils. I am um, an educator, I'm academic researchers. I did a lot of work and I have leadership for 25 years. What I will need, you need a person that he has the skills. He had the experience. He had the academic backgrounds. I have two doctor degree. I have the experience and I have the leaderships, and I believe I'm the right candidate for here. My my uh, campaign platform is running for. I'm trying to create good job with a good payments, and also I'm looking for universal health care. What I mean by universal health care, I need equity. Anyone seeking health, they need to get it. I need to get it with the same way that other people that willing to pay. And also uh, quality. When you go over there to seek and get health care, you need to get it in high quality. And also, I need people to be protected from financial harm. I don't want anyone to go over there and get medical help and then surprise with a huge bill. And also, I see that there's a lack of affordable housing for senior citizens, for people with disabilities. And also, I need to investment in schools. And I need to add mental health for the student to cope with difficulties. Thank you.
0: The first question uh, comes from the League of Women Voters. And the question is, do you support the privatization of Medicaid in the state? If yes, why? And if no, how would you change it? I'd like to begin with Zach.
2: This is a very important question, and I don't know if there's an issue that I hear about more often when I'm out knocking on doors or holding meet and greet events. And I see people in this very room who have been affected by Medicaid privatization. I would say that I strongly oppose Medicaid privatization. It was uh, told, we were told here in Iowa that Medicaid privatization would make the system more efficient, that it would save money, and that it would provide higher quality services. The exact opposite has happened in all three areas. And the thing that I want to say is this is having a real impact right here in our community. I had the chance shortly after we began this campaign to visit uh, some people here in in our area who provide a very important service to folks who struggle with intellectual disabilities. They were facing a 53% budget cut with 18 days notice. I wanna say that again. They were facing a 53% budget cut with 18 days notice because of Medicaid privatization. Uh, That is uh, simply an unacceptable price to pay. We should reverse Medicaid privatization and reassert full control by the state over Medicaid.
3: Thank you, Zach. Janice? I disagree with the decision that Governor Branstad made without consulting the legislature to privatize Medicaid. It was, it was done for profit. What we're seeing is people hurting as a result. Among other things, our disabled citizens are not getting the care that they need. The, the organizations that, that provide day programs for them have had their budgets cut because of the way the, the program approaches them. One of them had to max out their line of credit in January just to, just to fund staff. There are other models that we, can, that we can use. One was proposed by Amanda Reagan and Liz Mathis, which was to carve out the disabled and put them back under the state as, a, as an experiment to see how that would work. No one paid attention. We need to put it back under the state, either as managed care or the way it was previously.
0: Thank
4: you, Janice. Eric? I believe uh, Medicaid privatization is a crime. And I believe people with mental illness, people with disabilities, they didn't get the care that they should and deserve to have it. Senior citizens, anyone. Especially people with mental illness, when, uh, when they um, switch the, uh, and switch the uh, Medicaid to private sectors, that affect all of them. So not, they didn't get their medication, they didn't get the help that they need, they didn't get the chance to see the doctors. and they should deserve it. And it's time war. No, okay. <laughs> and um, I, I believe uh, in the most ways is just a huge mistake of the government in Des Moines. We need to switch back Medicaid to the Department of Human Service. They needed to switch it back to the government. They need to control it, they need to run it. And it stops.
0: Thank you. Eric?
1: Our private privatized Medicaid system is broken there 's no doubt, but it needs to be switched back to being publicly funded uh, when you when an ombudsman 's report comes out and talks about how many people are slipping through the cracks during this current privatized uh, disaster it 's just it 's the wrong way wrong way and it 's it's, it's the wrong path forward we need to switch it back to being publicly funded but I do also think it 's important to note that We've had a publicly funded Medicaid system in our state before, and that wasn't without its flaws. We still had flaws. So when we switch back to publicly funded Medicaid, we need to make sure that we are maximizing the dollars that we're getting from the federal government. That means not closing Planned Parenthood or defunding Planned Parenthood, because we lose federal dollars when we do that. I mean, also provides great s- services that we definitely need, but we're losing federal dollars. We need to have proper oversight over a publicly managed uh, Medicaid system, and that's how we're gonna continue to make our Medicaid system the way it's supposed to run. So many people rely on Medicaid. When you think about, um, it's one in, one in three Iowans that are relying on Medicaid. Aging Iowans often rely on these Medicaid dollars to help supplement their Medicare dollars. It affects all of us, and it needs to be switched back to being publicly funded.
0: Thank you, Eric. The next question uh, comes from the uh, audience. Uh, What is your specific proposal for treating a mentally ill person? And I'd like to start with Janice.
3: That's a very broad question. The legislature this year passed a complex needs mental health bill that will help a broad range of adults who have serious mental illnesses and it will help them by setting up different stages and different ways of, of being treated including creating access centers throughout the state so that when someone has a crisis they don't end up in an, in an emergency room and they don't end up in a jail. However there's a broad range and there are people we're not talking about in this and those are the children. We have serious needs for Iowa's children. There is no system for children's mental health care. The governor recently signed an executive order, but that's simply basically passing the buck. That is a continuation of committees that have existed since 2011. They know what needs to happen. They know the kinds of schools that we need. They know it's going to be expensive. They need to find funding streams for it, and they need to take care of our children so they don't become adults with serious problems.
4: Mental illness is a huge problem for IO, and they didn't get the focus that they should. The governor issued shutting down the four residential mental institutions. We need to reinstate that, and we need to open more. We need everyone. That should be an order. Everyone suffering from mental, sti- uh, mental illness, he need to go to find a doctor that he can take care of him, to find the medication without any question asked. They need to take he- care of him first, and then they need to ask what and who they're going to cover his medical bills. We need people in Des Moines, they need to reestablishing and uh, rethinkings we need they they lost the problem is over here lack of leadership thank you Ahmed.
1: eric the question was how do we treat a mentally ill person and and janice is right that's a very complicated that's a very challenging question and certainly that would be something that we would want to leave up First and foremost, to the psychologists and psychiatrists who are trained to, to help. But I will say, people who have mental illness are first and foremost people. And one of the biggest challenges right now with mental health, with mental health care is reducing stigma. Making sure that we are being inclusive and making sure we're treating them as people and making sure we're, we're comfortable to talk about what, what mental illness means. So much of the problems that we're facing with mental health care is just people who are so, are so um, distant from, they, they're not willing to talk about it. And so we have to make sure that we're reducing our stigma, being able to talk to our neighbors, our friends, being, making sure our community rallies around and supports those with mental illness. And for those who need, are in need of more serious treatment, we need to make sure we're providing the services necessary. We need to make sure that we have the proper psychiatrists in our state, making sure telemedicine is available and making sure those opportunities are available for those.
2: Thank you, Eric. This is another uh, very important issue in in the health arena that I I hear about very frequently. There are some people in this room who are very powerful advocates who played a critical role uh, in passing the complex needs bill that was signed into law earlier this month. Uh, So I just want to thank them for for their advocacy. There are, I think, three key issues when it comes to uh, our mental health system that have to be addressed. The first one is access. Uh, The the central problem is that our mental health institutions, uh, we had four of them that were closed down uh, during the Branson administration. We uh, were shut down before we had new access centers that were built in place. Now, here in Johnson County, we're moving forward uh, with one, and that's very important, but it's, it's critical that we get those built as quickly as possible. Uh, the second piece is funding. Uh, now, there is a significant amount of money that is already uh, available at what's called the regional level, uh, but the thing is, we have to make sure that that money actually gets spent on these access centers. And the third piece is, is absolutely talking about children. Uh, this was something that was unaddressed. <laughs> Uh, in the governor's report, uh, this is something that absolutely does need more work on the stigma piece and on the the conversation piece, and so I'm glad that we're having that conversation tonight.
0: Thank you. This next question: Where do you stand on the medical marijuana, and would you expand the health reasons for would you expand the health reasons for use of it? I'm gonna read another question here. Uh, how do you feel about expanding conditions uh, covered by the medical uh, cannabis in Iowa and eliminating the current restrictions in the THC percentages?
4: Iman, Medical reasons. I'm not supporting using marijuana for any reason, but if it is described by physician or that is medically uh, necessary, there is no problem to approve that. But the legal system is broken. Legal systems, they didn't taking the big pictures of which topic? That what, what they they didn't set the priorities. What it should be for the human levels and what for the criminal uh, levels? There's two separate issues. Um, marijuana is a uh, big issue. We have a lot of teenagers they affected by uh, using marijuana, and a, a lot of problems that. Thank you.
1: Eric? I I support expanding uh, medicinal marijuana in our state, absolutely, and for two reasons. One, the opioid epidemic is upon us, and one of the ways that we are seeing in states across the country that is effectively combating making sure that opioid is staying out of the hands of people who are at high risk for abuse are providing pain relief alternatives. And one of those pain relief alternatives that has been shown is medicinal marijuana. So making sure that those people um, who are susceptible to drug addiction are still getting that pain relief that they need through medicinal marijuana. The second reason is our criminal justice system. When you look at how many people in our criminal justice system are locked up for low-level nonviolent drug crimes, it's just absurd. Those aren't the people that are causing um, the problems in our in our state that need to be locked up for, for years upon years, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just part of uh, it's part of the Iowa way that we should not be locking people up for um, ab- abuse of, of low level drugs. So medicinal marijuana definitely needs to be legalized. Thank think. you, Eric. Zach.
2: I would also strongly support uh, expanding uh, access under the current medical cannabis law. For those of you who who don't know, this bill was passed uh, last year that essentially created the option for medical cannabis. However, it placed very tight restrictions uh, on the, the kinds of diagnoses and the amount of THC content that is available in what's called the CBD oil. Uh, And so with the current restrictions, the bill really doesn't have a chance to work. In fact, most people who would qualify under the already narrow restrictions aren't even able to access it because the restrictions are so narrow that suppliers don't want to sell it. So we have to actually expand uh, those restrictions. And this is actually personal for me. Some of you may know my mother, uh, Dr. Terry Walls. Uh, She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was eight years old. Uh, One of the symptoms that she experiences is chronic pain. And so pain management uh, is certainly something that's very important. And it's, I think, much better to use non-addictive alternatives to pain treatment, rather than something like uh, a potentially habit-forming opioid.
3: So, absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Janice? It sounds like we're nearing um, violent agreement, at least among three of us. (laughs) (laughs) I I also support uh, expanding the conditions for medical cannabis use and and reducing the restrictions on THC content. Iowa continues to have some of the strictest laws in the United States when it comes to marijuana in general. It can definitely help with pain. It can also help with people who have PTSD. And the symptoms of P- PTSD can, be, can really be al- alleviated through that, as opposed to having to use much stronger drugs. I believe something else we also need to do is expand research. One of the, one of the issues has been there hasn't been enough research <laughs> on it, because that's been blocked. Senator Schumer just introduced a bill in Washington that would finally decriminalize marijuana so that so that it would open up be opened up to more research so that we can find out what the opportunities are going forward and be better informed as we decide to move forward as a state.
0: Thank you, Janice. This next question is if elected what bill uh, in the uh, general, Iowa General Assembly, uh, would you uh, press for or reverse? I'd like to begin with Zach. I think it's Eric. It I'm
1: sorry, Eric. Cut right in front of you. Oh, you got it. Okay. okay. Whew. All right. <laughs> so, can I just say, like, day one, what I would do because? Uh, we have some blatantly unconstitutional laws that are continuing to work their way through. Um, when we talk about the uh, six-week abortion ban, when we talk about um, stand-your-ground law that's inherently racist that is um, actually judges have decided it's void for vagueness and so we can't apply it. We have also have an environmental trust fund that uh, we voters voted for in- 2010. So we had two legislatures that approved it and then the voters voted for it. And we're in the midst of a tax reform, yet this tax thing that we all agreed upon eight years ago hasn't been a part of this conversation. So I guess the first thing that I would do on day one would be absolutely to fund the environmental trust fund. And then I would focus on making sure that our budget is working and making sure that we're closing the corporate tax loopholes, making sure that the money is staying here in the state and making sure that we're investing on the needs of Iowans and not just letting this money go to out-of-state corporations and business interests.
0: Thank you, Eric.
2: I would restore collective bargaining rights for state workers.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Okay, thank you,
3: Zach. Um, Janice? I would look at what I'm calling the three C's. That is getting rid of the childcare cliff what happens if people are on child, have childcare assistance, they earn a little bit more, and all of a sudden they fall off the childcare cliff, and they, cannot, and they lose thousands of dollars, so either they cannot move up the chain at work and earn more money, or they, or they lose their childcare because they can't afford it anymore. We need an off-ramp, and that is the first thing that I would fix to empower especially single women and to help poorer families who really want to get ahead. It, may, it would help as well for those who are concerned when you hear all, all the talk in Washington about work requirements for welfare, this works against that. We need a proper off-ramp. In addition, I would restore collective bargaining rights and work to hook community colleges up with community businesses and industries so that they can have a direct pipeline for people who need training to go into those businesses. Those are my three Cs.
4: Thank you, Janice. I'm Ahmed? At- <coughs> Well, if I elect it, uh, the first thing that I'm going to be, uh, of course, the um, educational vouchers. Yeah. And I'm 100% against the educational voucher because it takes funding away from the student who need it the most. And therefore, the public and government fund must not be used as a voucher for public schools. And also, I'm going to work very hard for the, uh, for the unions, especially uh, teachers' unions. And this is the only thing that I'm going to do it if I elect it. And also, besides the health care, universal health care, I'm going to fight for that and also to increase the minimum wages. The minimum wages should be activated. Right now, the board of supervision they issue the increase for 1027, but because of the government, lack like the control of the local government. Sorry, I need just to finish it. Because the uh, government they stripped the local govern gov- the 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 state gov- the state government they stripped the local government for doing their jobs. Thank that you. they need to be stopped. Thank you. And I'm going to ask people to remember to
0: speak into the microphone. We got some people who are having some difficulty hearing in the back. So, would you please speak into the microphone? Okay, next question is What are your uh, recommendations of how to fund education without putting the state in ba- into bankruptcy? I'd like to begin with
2: Zach. This is a two-part question. The first part is about education funding, and the second part is about state finances. Uh, I'll answer the second piece first. Uh, You certainly don't pass a $100 million tax cut for the rich. Uh, which is what's cool. currently being uh, proposed by Republicans in in Des Moines, uh, cutting taxes at uh, at a time when we're also making these deappropriations, cuts to the universities, when funding for K-12 is at near historic lows is uh, absolutely the wrong direction to be going, and I would absolutely (coughs) oppose any further tax cuts on the wealthy. And I would fully support revisiting every single tax credit and expenditure that is currently on the books. In terms of education funding, I think something that we have to do is make sure that we extend the save penny. Hopefully that will happen in this legislative session that allows uh, local school districts to bond going further down the line, which is a very important source of revenue. I would support uh, funding for state supplemental aid uh, between 3 and 4% at least, if not a little bit higher for a few years to catch up. the fact that we've been underfunded for so long.
0: Thank you, Zach. Janice?
3: I don't think there's any question that we have the money in this state to fully fund public education. It's a question of what our priorities are. We need to take a good look at what our revenues are we need to sunset the research tax credit, which has long since outlived its usefulness. And we need to stop giving major tax cuts to big corporations that come in who would otherwise be paying a substantial amount of tax. We, don't, we want that money to stay here and go to Iowans, and particularly to public education, not, to, not out of state. We can't, of course, afford any tax cuts at this point. And it, we live in an upside-down world when I'm knocking doors and people are saying, Why do they want to cut my taxes? We can't afford tax cuts right now. I agree that we need to extend the save penny. It's especially important for the rural districts because even though the the, the urban districts benefit from it and use it for infrastructure, the the rural districts would be really lost without it at this point. However, I don't want to see any more increases in the the sales tax because that's a regressive tax.
0: Aman.
4: Okay. All of us agree that investment in public school or in school is very important for each and every one of us. I would like to see investment in schools and saving business, and also I, I need to to see that the investment grows between three to six percent. Within five five years, and I would like to see one uh, percent after that for ten to fifteen years. A school they need, teacher they need, they need to be trained. They need to be um, certified. Uh, the staff they need to be uh, provided with all the tools and means to upgrade their their skills. Um, the government should stop, stop completely.
0: Thank you, Ahmed. Thank you. Eric?
1: We can fund education if it is a priority in the way that we want it, it to be. And for our budget, it is just a matter of where is that money going? Is this money leaving the state or are we investing it right here? And it's clear that it's it's not staying here and we're not investing. So, uh, it's about priorities and we can invest it and we need to invest it in our public education and it needs to be at, four, at a 4% supplemental aid increase. There's there's no doubt that's what, uh, if you talk to communities, that's what the school districts need. Um, and also I think this question gets to the question of just how do we continue to improve our public schools to get to that level uh, that we're proud of. That Because I, I Iowa used to be number one in the country when it comes to public education, we're losing that. And Another way that doesn't require more funding is just making sure we're, we're recruiting and retaining um, young teachers so that they have the feel like they have the resources they need and are able to, able to live out their careers as teachers. And that's really important. And that, that also goes back to collective bargaining. When we're stripping away rights of young teachers, they don't feel like they're being listened to in the classroom. Thank you, Eric.
0: Our next question will be directed, and uh, Janice, you can begin with this question after I read it. It's, um, what method would you employ to work across the aisles, i.e. with uh,
3: partisans? I'm a very strong believer in building relationships. It's what I've done my entire career, and it has paid dividends throughout. I can give you examples of working with the Islamist party in Turkey in a constitutional crisis, and because I had built The relationship I was able to get in the door and help talk them through it gradually when other people could not, and they did not explode the Constitution at that point. We won't agree on everything, but you need to have a civil dialogue and a constructive dialogue and you need to be able to build bridges. There are some issues on which we will never agree, like the fetal heartbeat bill. But there are other issues like mental health, like children's mental health, like education and like helping rural public schools, for example, with a transportation plus-up that we can agree. So part of building relationships is finding out the small areas sometimes that you have in common so that you can build on them and work together. And once you've done it once, you have an open door to work on it again. Thank you, Janice.
4: I'm it? I believe the main issue over here, how to build trust. Between you and the other countries or the allies, and I believe they lost. There is no any trust between United States and other countries, and that's why this is the biggest issue. We need to work on that, and we need to know how to deal and to cooperate with the other countries, and. United States, they provide a lot of support for a lot of support in type of medication, type of food, type of um, many things. But still, people they don't trust. And I believe the main issue over here, the key is the trust how we can build the trust between us and the other uh, alliance. (laughs) So that one. Thank you. Eric? When
1: it comes to bipartisanship, I will stand firm in my convictions, listen, and work with anybody who's actually interested in bettering the lives of all Iowans. And what we're seeing right now is just some some of the legislature just is operating behind closed doors and not interested um, in connecting with the actual needs of Iowans. Now, I, I will say we do live in a very very partisan partisan time. And one of the ways that we can address this is by making sure the legislature is responsive to the needs to to Iowans. And that's why I, I strongly support the ballot initiative. It's something 24 states have. And it's another way that the citizens of Iowa can keep the legislature in check. We saw in two red states recently, in Arkansas and South Dakota, they increased the minimum wage in those states through ballot initiative. Washington just passed common-sense gun safety reform. Florida's going to vote to restore um, convicted felons' voting rights after they serve their time. The ballot initiative works, and it's an effective mechanism to keep the legislature in check when they're operating from a disconnect from what the voters, what we want. And that's a way that we can fix some of this partisanship.
0: Thank you, Eric. Zach?
2: I had the opportunity this afternoon to have lunch with Ro Feige, who some of you might know. He was a representative up in Lynn County who represented a portion of this area for, for quite a while. And he shared with me that he found the people who he could work with when he was in the Iowa legislature were the people where he knew where they stood. Uh, they might not agree all the time, but as long as they knew that you were saying the same thing to them that you were saying to everybody else, you could build relationships, you can have trust. And, and I don't think that there's any uh, question about where I stand when it comes to the progressive values that a lot of us share. And we're not going to have a lot of agreement when it comes to Republicans and a lot of these high partisan fights, uh, the changes to collective bargaining, Medicaid privatization and what have you. Uh, But I think that there are certainly areas where we are going to be able to build those relationships. But it starts with making clear where we stand. The Democratic Party stands for civil rights, it stands for workers' rights, we've always fought for the little guy. That means that we have to be willing to stand up, talk about our values. When there are areas where we agree, we can build those relationships and work across the aisle. But the most important fights facing our state right now are partisan fights. And that's why we have to win in November.
0: Thank you, Zach. This next question will begin with uh, Ahmed. And the question is, would you support a limited amendment convention to amend the Constitution to address Citizens United? And related cases to get the influence of big money out of our political process.
4: Yeah, sure I do. Uh, I support that hundred percent because um, there's uh, there's one thing that is bothering me the most. We need to change our philosophy, how we look for our political parties and how we uh, how we. You know, when we're looking for the Republicans and Democrats, the Republicans right now, they figure it out. When they go to vote and select their elected people and officials, they select them not because they are their friends or their colleagues, but because of their skills and their experience. That's why we need to go from that we need to have in Democratic Party, that we need to have. When we go over there to elect our officials, we need to select them because they are qualified, they have the experience, they have the knowledge, and this is... Thank you.
1: Um, Eric? Yes, I would support it. Whoever wrote that question is a very good question, a very important question, because it gets to the heart of what's happening right now with. Uh, campaign finance and just how the ones with the money are the ones who are being heard, the ones who don't have the money um, are being silenced. So this campaign finance issue is something that we, we need to address. And I think this, as long as it's narrowed, narrowed so it's just as addressing the Citizens United decision, um, I would be fully in support. It's time that we look at candidates uh, not, about, not based on the size of their pocketbooks, but about their ideas and what they believe in and what they stand for. That's what politics is supposed to be. That's what I believe in. That's what I stand for. It's just a matter of making sure that those voices are being heard. And then the voters. Let the voters decide. Don't let the voters be forced to decide on which corporation has put more money into uh, their pockets. I mean, this is, this is something that is important. And, it's, and it's, it's a national problem, but we can take steps at a state level um, to do our part to make sure we're getting this money out of, out of politics.
0: Thank you, Eric.
2: Zach? I would strongly support reversing the Citizens United decision, and if a limited uh, amendment convention would be one option of doing that, it's something I want to take a a very close look at. It's not a proposal that I have specifically reviewed before the question was asked, so I would want to do a little bit more research before I committed 100 percent for sure. Uh, but I, I, think that the citizens united this idea that corporations are people is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and we actually have a terrific candidate who's running in Senate district 37 against Bobby Kaufman, Jody Clemens. I'm not sure if she's here tonight, uh, but this is a signature, ah, there she is. Uh, this is a signature issue for her, uh, reversing citizens united, getting big money out of politics. Uh, something that I hope we have the opportunity to work on together. Uh, and so when it comes to this question of, you know, do we have too much money in our political system? Uh, do we need to do things to get more things to get money out of politics? I would say yes. And for those of you who don't know, the rules here in our state in Iowa are some of the loosest in the country. Uh, And so I think that there is a lot that we can do here at the state level uh, beyond a a constitutional uh, amendment at the national level as well.
3: Thank you, Zach. Janice? I'm not sure that I completely trust that there would be a limited constitutional convention. And I'm extremely concerned that if you go into a constitutional convention, you risk opening up other things. I do, however, completely support overturning yeah, like Citizens United. United. It can be done, I believe, through yes, court cases. It, it can be done as well through the, through the legislative process. The whole idea of corporations as people is based on a legal fiction and a lie that was propagated in the 1800s by the railroad robber barons. It's based on a misreading of the, eight, of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause, and it has no bearing on real life. There are things we can do, aside from that, to, to reduce the influence of money in politics. Iowa City, for example, has a, common sense, has a common sense rule, $100 per candidate in a city council election. There may be things we can do on a state level and on a national level, but ultimately, I believe we need to overturn this notion that corporations are people, because do you see a corporation standing here, living and breathing? I don't. People, people are protected from corporations, They they should not be political players.
0: Thank you, Janice. This next question is, what do you think is the best way to reverse the union busting tactics of the Iowa legislature? I'd like to start with Eric.
1: It's a partisan issue, and we've seen this in our state. continuing to attack our our labor and i just and i would like to say a lot of it i think it just comes from misinformation about what labor is and what uh, organized workforces do and how important they are uh, to our state. So, Iowa a right-to-work state, but that and that we were one of the f- first right-to-work states to do that. But that was before the Taft-Hartley Act, which was a, a pro-employer act that passed in 1948. So, Iowa has a long history of being the supposed right-to-work, but that that we I honestly think we need to revisit that. I think we need to talk about ways that we can make sure that. Full, full collective bargaining rights are restored at the very least, and then above and beyond that, making sure we're supporting our unions, making sure that collective action um, is alive and well in the state. I mean, it's it's employers are just taking advantage of employees, and if we want to do something, we have to we have to. Make, I think it's. Inform, explain the importance of investing um, and supporting our, our workforce and our labor, and making sure that um, we take a start by the, by restoring collective bargaining rights. Also, project labor agreements—that's something I not talked about. Incredibly important that we need, we need to fix. Sorry. Okay, thank you,
2: Eric. Eric. Uh, Zach. <laughs> I know I've already said it, but I'll say it again for emphasis. Restoring collective bargaining rights has to be a top priority. Uh, that would go a long way to reversing the union-busting tactics of the Iowa Legislature. There have been changes that have been uh, made and some more that have been proposed for the way that unions are certified. Uh, essentially what they've done is they've they've made it so that you need to win a majority of all of the people who are actually in the bargaining unit, not just a majority of the votes that are cast. Now. That's not how democracy works. Uh, Maybe we should be investing more in civics as well. Uh, That is not uh, the way that these elections should be run. Uh, I would certainly agree with Eric when it comes to revisiting our right to work law, or as they like to call it in the labor movement, the right to work for less. Uh, The project labor agreements are an important way of making sure that basic standards are being met by the people who are working on government projects. Over the long run, they save money for the state and they help protect people who are working on those projects. And uh, you know, I think that's just a, a starting point, but it fundamentally comes back to making sure that we have a government that is affirming the right of people to organize collectively and to fight for their rights.
3: Thank you, Zach. Janice. Over the years, unions have brought us the middle class. Unions have brought us the eight-hour workday, the weekend, paid leave, health and, safety or health and safety regulations, a whole host of things that we take for granted today. Yes, the right to work is the right to work for less. I am the one person on this panel who has been a union member my entire professional life. The Foreign Service has a union called AFSA that is our bargaining unit. I've been a rep at two different posts. I know what it's about. We have to restore collective bargaining rights, and maybe one way to, to bridge that gap is to explain to, to some of our colleagues that if we – bring back collective bargaining for the public sector, for example, we will be able to recruit and retain the best teachers. How do, we bring, how do we bring a quality workforce to Iowa? How do we keep it here? And how do we expand the economy in our state by having a quality education system at the, at the very beginning? And that won't happen if we cannot have the most professional teachers. Thank you, Janice. Ahmed?
4: Collective bargaining is the most important for everybody. The right the right for work is the right for every person in the United States and all over the world. I believe the, the problem over here we need to activate labor work. That should be should be a law. A labor law that protect everybody working. I see over here most of the people they work in at well. The employer, they can fire you without any notice, without anything, without any explanation. Then you lose your income. We need to protect everybody going out to get food for his family. They need law that they can protect all the laborers, all the employees. uh, Bulgarian or collective Bulgarian unit is most important and the unions is most important because they fight for everybody's rights for the employees' rights.
0: The next question here uh, we'll, uh, and Zach will lead on this is how can we keep our water and air clean when CAFOs self-regulate and locals have no control over them
2: Uh, so for those of you who don't know what a CAFO is or a CAFO it stands for confined animal feeding operation Uh, These have proliferated throughout the Iowa landscape. You've probably seen them yourselves if you haven't even noticed. Uh, You'll often see a a large shed with several fans, some cylindrical tanks uh, on the back. Uh, They're pretty easy to spot once you start driving around and looking for them. Uh, The the protection of water quality is something that's exceptionally important, uh, especially here in the Iowa City area. Nitrates in our water at over five times the state average. So this is an issue that's affecting right here in our community. Uh, I would absolutely support a moratorium on CAFOs until we have the opportunity to overhaul the master matrix. The master matrix is the process that we go through for uh, essentially approving the permits to build new CAFOs. Uh, and so I think that's something that's really important. But beyond just uh, restricting the, the CAFOs, I think that we also have to look at making out, uh, figuring out new ways to uh, prevent farmers from uh, using as much fertilizer that's going to be running off into the streams and rivers. Uh, and that can mean all kinds of things, building new riparian buffers, having biodigesters, more wetlands. There's a lot that we can do.
3: Thank you, Zach. Janice? There sh- with respect to CAFOs, there should be a moratorium until the master matrix is fixed. But that is just one piece of the water quality issue. A bill was passed at the beginning of this legislative session so that they could say they had dealt with water <laughs> quality, but they have not. However, we, we as Iowans have been concerned about this since the 1960s when Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring. We're not strangers to it. And there are institutions that already exist both on the federal level and on the state level that, can, that have been defunded, but that we can refund and that can help, and they also have the expertise to be able to work this through. The conservation districts in the state and the Federal Farm Services Agency have the expertise to do this. They can help farmers plant buffers. They can help them with that cost. They can help recreate wetlands. And working together with a funding mechanism for them, we can improve our waters for future generations without having to reinvent the wheel. Thank you, Jazz. Ahmed.
4: Well, water quality We have in Iowa water quality (coughs) crisis. Rivers, streams, lakes, whatever you name it, this contaminated by bacteria, uh, chemicals, animal waste, and this is lasting for the industrial uh, agriculture. The government in in Des Moines, they approved uh, the bill just for eighty-two uh, two hundred and eighty-two million dollars for water quality. I believe this is the this is the first steps. You know that we're going in the right directions. The estimated for water quality is estimated by three to six billion dollars. How we can come with that money and how we can fund it? This is the questions. Everybody, they need to work in that and all.
1: Thank you, Ahmed. Eric? We're outnumbered seven to one hogs to humans in our state, and that number's only increasing. What happened was North Carolina, Crack down on their KFO laws, and so all these KFOs packed up and now they're settling here. And so there I have a three-prong way that we can stop this because it is what's causing a lot of the problems we're facing with our water quality. So first, we have to fund the DNR. We can't have oversight if we're not funding DNR. We gotta make sure DNR can actually make sure that they're following whatever minimal regulations that we're currently set. Second, we need to change the we need to change the master matrix. I was there when the EPC denied the most recent request to change the master matrix. The master matrix is the mechanism on where they can be cited, and we have to fix that, and we have to So that comes with the legislative change to making sure that the EPC is updating their standards to the master matrix. Third, nuisance laws. That's the other way the legislature is is working through this right now. They continue to try to pass these laws that are preventing us from being able to get damages when we have all this toxic waste and up on our property. They've tried it three times. The last two times the Supreme Court has struck it down as unconstitutional. This third time, the verdict's still out. So we, there's a three-pronged approach. Fund the DNR, change the master matrix, and then stop these nuisance laws that are unconstitutional. We need to be able to get our remedies for the wrongs that are taking place.
0: Thank you, Eric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the next one. Um, I hear that the Democratic Party is running out of money. Why didn't they limit the amount of Money each candidate could spend on the primary and save the money for the November election?
3: That one's pretty easy because the Democratic Party does not fund us during a primary. We get no money from the state Democratic Party. Um, whoever wins the, the primary on June 5th will start to get assistance in some form from, from the state Democratic Party, but um, That is not where we are.
0: Ahmed?
4: Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I didn't get any single money from the Democratic Party. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay, Uh, Zach? Eric. Eric? I too did not receive any money from the Democratic Party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to tell you.
2: I haven't either. No, yeah, no. The Soros bucks going. Yeah, I don't know. Um, No, I look. uh, Yeah, the Democratic Party definitely does need some work Uh, in terms of funding for the primaries. It's not a thing that's happening. I, I I would be interested. Whoever wrote that question, please submit a follow up because I feel like we're probably not answering the question that you were trying to get at. (laughs) Yes, true.
0: Okay. This question is, what uh, policies would you propose to keep rural Iowa and Iowa small towns from further deterioration? I'd like to start with Eric. Amit?
4: I'm sorry, Can, can you hear it? Can you repeat the question? Okay.
0: What policies would you propose to keep rural Iowa and Iowa small towns from further deterioration?
4: Well, <clears throat> there's many things that we need to do. Um, uh, first of all, that we need to educate people and we need to provide them with the uh, the knowledge that they, they, they're looking for, how to keep their towns uh, clean and clean. Um, and um, and also um, that is uh, part of the uh, local government you know that the myers and also the city council they need uh, uh, to contact with the professional people and get their opinions and uh, they need to sit down with uh, many of the uh, the small towns and <coughs> I believe the education and knowledge, and uh, that would be the best thing that they can do.
1: Thank you. Eric? As a state legislature, we can, can continue to support rural communities by showing that we're committed to, to supporting rural communities. What we do is make sure that we're not continuing to consolidate and take away the essentials that rural communities have. We need to make sure that access to healthcare is still available. People should not have to drive 90 minutes to receive healthcare. We need to make sure that school districts don't continue to consolidate so bus rides become 90 minutes as well. Then we need to make sure that access to justice is there, making sure that we have these county courthouses that are being supported so people can can go and, and get the essentials that they need. And then finally, we just need to make sure that we're, we're providing the infrastructure, making sure that we're providing uh, the ways so people can continue to travel and and be able to access all the other essentials they need in bigger communities when they so choose. I'm originally from a 900-person town. I lived on a gravel road and had a cornfield across the street from me. I, I, I feel like I'm a rural Iowan at heart, and I love rural Iowa. And a big reason why people continue to leave rural communities is because, because of this continued consolidation. We have to fight and we have to invest in those rural communities.
0: Thank you, Eric. Zach?
2: So for those of you who are wondering why we're talking about small towns and rural areas, Senate District 37 kind of begins over here in West Iowa City and Coralville, and then it stretches north and east going up to Solon and a good chunk of rural Johnson County all the way out to all of Cedar County and then down to a little slice of Muscatine County down in Wilton. Uh, I've knocked doors in every single town in Cedar County and uh, down in Wilton, and I've heard from a lot of people down there who are really concerned about a couple of things, including what Eric just mentioned. Uh, There's a lot of concern about the cost of education, you know, that you can't, Uh, get a job that you need in one of those small towns to pay back the loans that you've taken out for school. Uh, There's a lack of housing. There's a lack of some of these cultural amenities. So in terms of what the legislature should be doing, I think we have to be fully funding education to make sure that people who are going to community college or who are going to the University of Iowa or Iowa State are able to do so without incurring tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. I think that we should explore a revolving loan fund to make loans to small towns that are trying to build more housing or expand these cultural amenities. As those loans are paid off, that that could be then. Put back into the bigger pot that's used at the state level and you can continue to go forward and help our, our rural areas and small towns
3: thank you zach janice i really enjoyed going out and talking to fo- talking to people all around cedar county and in eastern johnson county a number of things that i'm finding include a need for better broadband mm-hmm. broadband can help uh, in a variety of ways it can help the schools it can help kids be able to do their homework, can help bring actually extra resources and teachers into the schools. It can help with telemedicine. It can help the farmers who now have very high-tech machinery. We also need very strong Main Street organizations (coughs) and incentives for small businesses to, to come to the small towns. A number of them have really, in some ways, become bedroom communities, but they can be bedroom communities with pharmacies, with doctor's offices, and with small businesses. And as I mentioned earlier, I really want to work hard to hook up the community colleges with the smaller towns, so that when there are industries there and when there are small businesses that need people who have specific uh, have specific programs and certificates, they can be the they can be the um, the, the, cor- the the conduit for that.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Janice. This next question is. <clears throat> which two or three priorities would you focus on first if you were elected to the Senate? And I'd like to begin first with Eric.
1: So, I mean, I won't say budget, but clearly that's a huge issue uh, because when we fix our budget, we're able to fund the necessities. So I'm gonna focus on two other things. One is the environment. We have to absolutely change how we're treating our environment and our state. And our environment intersects with so much more than just um, having clean drinking water. It's a start, but it also disproportionately affects low income and minority communities. It affects healthcare. It affects the ability to recruit business. The environment intersects with so many other issues. And by truly focusing on improving our environment in our state, we're able to, to make our state better. So that's the first thing. And the second is criminal justice reform. We have to do something about the gross racial disparities that are taking place in our state. To have 3% of our population of African Americans um, in our state represent 25% of the incarcerated rate in our Iowa prisons is just embarrassing. That needs to change. We need to make sure that we are uh, providing, we need to return voting rights back to convicted felons after they serve their time. And we also need to look at our juvenile justice system. We need to consider on how we can rehabilitate and not just incarcerate. Thank,
0: Thank you, Eric.
2: Zach. Yeah, again, I'll, I'll start. My uh, number one legislative priority would be the full restoration of Chapter 20 collective bargaining rights for state workers. Uh, second, I would, I would hope to have the opportunity to work um, with uh, a Democratic governor to uh, reverse Medicaid privatization, to reestablish DHH, DHS control, uh, failing that, some, some kind of measure that would allow at least a partial uh, reversal of Medicaid if we can't get all the way there. But I, clearly the status quo cannot maintain when it comes to Medicaid privatization, so that absolutely has to change.
3: Thank you, Zach. Janice? If it's pie in the sky, I would focus on several things. One is women's reproductive health care and refunding Planned Parenthood, including being able to bring in the federal funds that that we turned away last year. Uh, I would also work very hard with with a similar coalition that enacted the the mental health care bill this year to push through a children's mental health care bill. if I were given the superpowers, I would enact single-payer health care for the state because we should be, everyone should be able to access health care for their whole body, for, their, for regular health care, for dental care, for vision care, um, for, uh, for, for mental health care. And, and I believe there's a strong economic argument to be made for that because if you have a healthy population, you have a workforce that can produce more, that can move up in life, and can produce taxes so that our economy grows. Thank you, Janice. Amen.
4: If uh, I elected, uh, the only thing that I'm gonna create, I'm gonna just looking for and working and fight for it, creating and maintaining, managing, and creating and managing about budget that benefit the citizen of Iowa, such as, <laughs> Maintaining sustainable public finances ensure physical policy at the optimal rate of economic growth maintaining appreciate levels of public investment and also I'm gonna the other thing that I'm going to focus in the affordable housing for the senior citizens and the people with uh, disabilities the second thing that I'm gonna just <coughs> fight for it the um, Mental health, and also I'm going to work very hard to add mental health care for the for the students uh, in uh, in education systems. This is all.
0: Thank you. This is the last question, and it is, what do you see as your primary job representing the uh, Senate District 37 if you are elected?
2: primary job of representing the entire district. Uh, I would say probably the most important thing is to to listen to constituents. Uh, That's something that's very uh, important, I think, for any representative. After all, that's the whole point of being a representative. You represent the people uh, who live in the district. And so that starts with listening. And that's something that I've worked very hard to do throughout this campaign, and uh, I think that when you listen to people you can hear the stories you can understand why these issues are so important and I think that that why can become the basis uh, for finding consensus where it can be found uh, and for finding courage when you need it to stand up for what's right
3: Janice I believe that in representing district 37 which is an incredibly varied district it's it will require being present all the time everywhere. Whoever wins the race cannot just sit in Coralville or Iowa City. They have to be out in all the corners of Cedar County and in Wilton listening to people and talking to them. We need to understand, I need, understand the needs of the people of the district and represent them. And I think it's also important to look at the root causes of some of the issues that we keep talking about why is it that kids come to school hungry and we have to provide backpacks for them? What are the, why? It's because, among other things, we don't have a living wage. How do we improve a whole series of things across the board? We, we increase the minimum wage and we give people in general a higher standard of living. But it all starts with both listening and looking at root causes. Thank you, Janice. Amit.
4: All of us, uh, I'm going to just make it short. The root cause of all iron issues can be traced back to the absence of genuine leadership. And um, if I elect it and I get a chance, I'm going to just be with the people and among the people, listen to them, and, and by day to day, to know from area to area, from town to town, to know what their concern, what their problems, uh, what they need, and I'm gonna work with how we can keep the raw areas and raw uh, towns, you know, that providing them with uh, transportations, and also we need to work with the waters, we need to work with the health uh, issues, we need to work with uh, education systems, and uh, that we need just to be listening, and we need to be, with them whenever they need us and we need to contact them whenever they didn't think that we're going to show up we're going to show up uh, thank you
0: uh we're now uh
1: into (coughs) i'm sorry eric (laughs) sorry eric (laughs) (laughs) thank you I, i will connect i will connect and continue to work to try to understand the unique challenges facing each Iowan and then, and then use <laughs> my legal training to help tackle those challenges. And I think that's what a senator needs. A senator needs to be able to connect and a senator needs to have expertise. I believe I have the ability to connect because I'm fortunate enough to have lived, worked, and learned from Iowans who have lived in a variety of communities. And I believe it's the voices of the people. It's the voices from people from Solon to Durant, from Coralville, to Loudon that are going to be making the change. And I also have the expertise. I also have the legal expertise. Uh, I have worked in a legislative <coughs> manner uh, working on drafting rules and regulations. I've interpreted Iowa laws with appellate judges. I actually enforced the law. I sued on behalf of the, uh, the state of Iowa, the Trump administration. So I have the legal expertise and the legal focus on Iowa laws. So being able to use those Iowa law, that Iowa law skill set to connect to the unique challenges facing each and every Iowan And being able to tackle those challenges is what I would do. Thank you.
0: We're now into our closing statements. And so I'd like to begin first with Janice.
3: Thank you. I come from a long line of determined women. My maternal grandmother carried her family through the Great Depression, earning a living when my grandfather could not keep a job. My paternal grandmother, an immigrant, memorialized her family's strong support for workers' rights by naming her son after Eugene Victor Debs. My dad was Eugene Victor Weiner. My mom was a union organizer, an advocate for women's rights, and a committed patron of the arts. I am all of those. In terms of personal heroes, Eleanor Roosevelt tops my list for being willing to speak up on important issues, including issues of of race, and for helping craft the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And then there are two women who have been dubbed the most dangerous women in America. Mother Jones was known for her fiery support for coal miners and union organizing across the board. Her rallying cry was pray for the dead and fight like hell for the living. And Donna Redwing, longtime LGBTQ advocate who died last week in Des Moines has been lionized, including for building bridges with the unlikeliest of people. The ability to engage in civil dialogue is a powerful statement about the very foundation of free speech. It underpins all true leadership. For your children and mine, I want to put my lived experience to work, to fight for social justice and women's rights workers' rights, children's mental health, education, healthcare, the environment, and so many other battles we must join on behalf of all Iowans. And I'll do it by being an organizer who also believes in building bridges and engaging in respectful civil dialogue on our road to victory. I hope you will allow me to work hard for each of you in Des Moines by voting for me on June 5th and then again on November 6th. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janice. Ahmed.
4: Yeah, I would like to comment because I missed some questions because I didn't listen it well, and I'm sorry for that. But um, as I mentioned before, I'm a migrant, and I came 16 years ago. And I'm very familiar with the unions, and I'm very familiar with uh, labor works, that what we do in our countries over there. We came with experience. We came with different cultures. I have, I worked during my whole life. I worked for 16 years with United Nations as a consultant, as a financial uh, advisors, and I work with uh, Secretary General for BANAF. This is one of the biggest have uh, 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 organization African Unity specialized in training and uh, upgrade the skills of the people working in financial institutions and the bankers and the uh, insurance companies. I have 25 years experience in business. I know what is the best for our local and international business. I can... I can be, I have the leadership. I have 25 years experience, created a leadership. The problem is we have lack of leadership. The experience, the academics, I have two doctor degree, I have the experience, I have the leadership. I lead companies that ranging from 500 to 1,000 employees. I create a lot of. I take companies from zero, from zero, and then I make a huge of profit. I know how to create a lot. I create a successful business. If you give me a chance to be your elected, I will go over there because accounting and financial statement is my passion. You, you need Amit. somebody. Thank you, Ahmed.
1: Eric? I am running not to let corporations lead, not to let special interests lead, but to let Iowans lead. Iowa has a rich history of being a leader. We have world-renowned universities. The Iowa Law School was the first law school in the country to admit a female law student and an African-American law student. Uh, we we're, we're, number, were number one in wind energy production. We have, uh, were one of the first in the country with our VARM decision upholding marriage equality in 2009. We are Historically, we're a leader, and, but recently what we've seen is that we are not leading. We're following other states in the wrong direction. And with the, Trump, with the Trump administration doing what they're doing, it's even more vital than ever that we lead, that we follow our own direction, and that is forward. This means we need to celebrate um, what makes Iowans unique with its diversity, education, and sense of community. We can move Iowa forward by three ways. First, we fix the budget. We need to close the corporate tax loopholes to make sure that the money uh, taxpayers are paying are staying in state. Along with that, we have to grow our economy. When we're growing our economy, that means investing in good infrastructure, making sure that we have a skilled workforce, and make sure we have clean water and clean air. That's how we attract business and to keep them in this state. Next, we need to fix our health care system. It needs to be pub- medicated. needs to be publicly run. We need to make sure that health care is a right and not a privilege and that no one is falling through the cracks when it comes to our health care. And lastly, we need to support every community. This means criminal justice reform to end the gross racial disparities. This means closing the income gap to make sure that every person's earning a minimum wage in the state. It means supporting our veterans, making sure we're taking care of, of the aging population and making sure that Iowa, just as a state that welcomes immigrants, this is... The, this is the basis of what Iowa is. Iowa's my home, it's where my roots are, and it's what I believe, and it's what my volunteers and I are fighting for every day that we believe what Iowa can be. I hope that you consider me, and I hope you consider me so I can use my expertise in, in Iowa laws to help tackle these challenges we're facing and to let Iowans lead. Thank, Thank you.
0: Thank you, Eric. Zach.
2: I'm very glad to have had the chance to be here this evening and I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the issues that are facing our community and how we're going to stand up for our values. I'm asking for your vote because I have a proven track record of organizing and making change right here in Iowa. I don't back down from tough fights, I'm willing to speak truth to power, and I know how to build and run winning campaigns because we can't win these fights alone. The reality is that the Democratic Party is in pretty rough shape right now. And as a result, the Republicans have been able to get away with privatizing Medicaid, underfunding our schools and cutting our universities, and waging an all-out assault on workers' rights. I'm running for this seat because I believe our community needs a senator who can help to rebuild the Democratic Party and to retake control of our state government. As you've heard tonight, the stakes could not be any higher. I believe that we need a leader with a proven track record here in Iowa, and that's why I'm running. As an advocate with our state's LGBTQ rights organization, I helped to protect marriage equality in our state, traveling all over Iowa, including with Donna Redwing, having some of these very tough conversations. And winning back the future of Iowa will start with conversations like those, talking with friends and with family and with the public like we've just done tonight. As I said at the beginning of tonight's conversation, I'm running for this seat because I will never forget how it feels to be excluded or left behind from our government And I will never forget how hard we had to work to get a seat at this table. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here and I hope to earn your support and your vote early or on Tuesday, June 5th. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Zach. And thank you to the candidates, the audience and those watching at home, Corville public library for the use of the facilities and the staff of the local television for making this, A video uh, broadcast possible. We would like to remind you that the views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates and that the sponsorship of the forum is not an endorsement of any candidate. Remember to vote in the primary election on or before June 5th and good night.